0: Trial, just like the one that Jesus is in. If you lie, bear false witness against someone. You know what the penalty for that is? This perjury? It's It's not a fine like we would think of it today. It's not a jail sentence like you might think of it today. It's death. If you bear false witness, the penalty is death. So the people who are putting Jesus on trial are really the ones who are worthy of death. You see the, the irony of Mark? Every writer has their own style, their own characteristics, their own personality. Mark is really ironic. And so as you walk through Mark, <clears throat> you see iron, ironic things like this popping up. The people who are putting Jesus on trial for death. This is a capital uh, case. The people who are putting Jesus on trial for death are actually the ones who are deserving ...of death themselves, because they're trying to get false witnesses uh, to testify against them. But you find in verse 56, the testimonies didn't agree. So these guys weren't even smart enough to get their stories straight before uh, the trial starts. Verse 57, and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony didn't agree. So... They're right. Jesus did say that, right? Was he talking about the temple? Because that's what they're talking about. They're saying he's talking about destroying the temple, which against Judaic law, if you're a follower of the law of Moses, would be incredibly offensive to you, right? This is God's house. This is where God's presence resides, right? In the temple, anybody talking about destroying it, you would automatically, just by the nature of, Uh, of your relationship with God and what they're saying, you would automatically be pushing back hard against them. And that's what the Jewish people are doing here. Jesus isn't talking about the temple. If you go back and you look at the context in which he's talking here, he's talking about his body. He's talking about the exact event that's going on right now. They're going to destroy his body. And in three days, he's going to rise it back up again. Notice also that the charge against Jesus throughout this little section we're going through today, underline these or draw stars next to the different types of charges these guys pull out at Jesus. It's it's like they're they're reaching out into the in, into left field so to speak, and, and just pulling everything they can think of against him. And so they find some people that say, "Hey, yeah, he he was he was talking about destroying the temple, and that's bad. Nobody should destroy the temple." And so they they, they accuse him of that, but then. The guys that were, that were bringing the testimony, they couldn't get their story straight. Uh, they, they, they weren't all agreeing. <clears throat> and so they're going to drop that charge, and they're going to come up with a new one in just a second. But under, underline that maybe in verse 58, this, this, this initial charge. And verse 60 says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, "Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed?" So the charge has changed, hasn't it? They're not—you're not, not going to hear anymore about the temple. They're not going to hear anymore about Jesus destroying the temple right now. Uh, that charge—they've they, kind of—it's it, it, fallen on deaf ears because they couldn't get the witnesses to agree, and so that didn't work. So now they're saying, "Well, are—are are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you claiming to be God?" Which, if you're a follower of the law, Moses, and someone claims to be God, and they're not, that's a crime worthy of death, right? Yes. The only problem is, he actually is God. <laughs> they're just not listening to him. And throughout Mark, you see that this, this, this people's refusal to submit, even though they have incontrovertible evidence to the contrary they refuse to submit are we ever like that i just want to do what i want to do i'm gonna do it my way i'm gonna i'm gonna do it like this we do that don't we that's us sometimes isn't it i don't really care what anybody else says i want to do it like this well what's the bible say about it i don't, I don't really care we may not put it like that but that's what our actions say isn't it and that's exactly what these what these scribes and the priests and the pharisees are doing here they bring this second charges against them. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you, are you God? And Jesus finally says something in verse 62. He says, I am. I am. And we're familiar with that verse because every time you see I am, ego, a me in Greek, every time you see that, that's a claim to deity. And Jesus uses it prevalently in John. He uses it seven different times in John. He's only going to use it two times in Mark. This is one of them. But the Jews got the claim to deity. Jesus says, I am God. It's the same word that uh, God used for his name at the burning bush. When Moses said, well, who am I supposed to say uh, that's sending me to Egypt to release the slaves? Who, who am I supposed to tell them sends me? Jesus, uh, God says, you tell them that I am sends you. So that's the first time we get a picture of God's name, Yaviv, right? And so Jesus is claiming that here. He says, I, I am. He's God. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's Old Testament imagery that they would have gotten. And so do they get it? Is he? Do they get his claim? Verse 63, and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? They got it. They understood 100% that he was claiming to be deity. Now, the only problem is, he didn't actually use God's name. So, to their law, to their law, for this to be a capital crime, he has to use God's name. He has to literally say, I am Yahweh, I am him. He didn't say that, he said something like that. And they all understood it, and I think he intended for them to understand it, but he didn't say exactly that. And so, technically speaking, legally speaking, they don't have a case. They don't have a capital case for sure. What they're about to do is against their own law. Just like how they were trying to get people to bear false witness against him, they're the ones who are worthy of death. And in fact, if you go back and think about that very first uh, uh, charge that they brought against Jesus... He's going to destroy the temple. He's going to defame the temple. Who's actually the ones that are defaming the temple? It's the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the scribes. Do you remember back in chapter 11, when Jesus first comes into Jerusalem, he goes, do you remember, immediately to the temple. And he looks around and he sees what all stuff's going on, and you can just kind of, you're reading between the lines, you can just see his, his ire being raised. He's enraged. He comes back the next day uh, at, uh, at, at a normal time. He, the first time he comes, it was at sundown, and so business is closing down. He just gets how awful. They've turned it into a business. They've turned it into uh, making money off the back of God. And Jesus is enraged. He comes back the next day. He drives everyone out with a whip. And you remember what he says? You've made what? My father's house a den of thieves. This is a robber's cave. Remember, like in the old westerns, uh, the robbers and the thieves would go out and they'd go out and they'd find a cave, a safe, a hideout place, uh, and that's where they would all kind of congregate. That's what Jesus is saying about the temple. You've taken my father's house, a place that was intended to be holy, and you've turned it into a cave where robbers and thieves hang out who's actually the ones who defile the temple? They are. They're the ones who ought to be on trial with this charge. If you want to talk about defaming the temple, Jesus has much, a much better case against them than they do against him. But now the charge has changed. They've, they've left that charge, and now they're trying to accuse him uh, of blasphemy, essentially. But again, that's not going to stick, although he's going to be killed For this, although the charge is going to change again. Look in verse 64. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Again, they've broken their own law. You go back through and you start reading how capital cases were were, uh, constructed during Jesus' day in Judaism. The Jews had to do it a specific way. And so think you've got 12 people, uh, a court, 12 people... And they are both the prosecutors and the defense. And so the uh, criminal is standing in front of them and each one of those 12 men are, is supposed to argue for the accused's innocence. He hears, they, they take in all the testimony, they listen to the whole court case, the whole prosecution lays out its court, uh, lays out its case, and then these 12 men are the defense. And so they, these men who are about to decide his life, whether he lives or dies, are the defense. And so each one of them argues for his innocence. That never happens at Jesus's, in Jesus' case. That um, each one view him as deserving death. But it's not even about justice, is it? It's about getting even. Right? Look in the next verse, in verse 65. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. It was never about justice in the first place, was it? If you read through this passage and think that his trial was about justice, go back and read it again and pay more attention this time. (laughs) This passage is all about them getting even because Jesus has embarrassed them Throughout the last three years, he has condemned them because they refuse to submit, right? They want to do things their own way. And Jesus says, this isn't your kingdom. You don't get to make the calls like that. This is God's kingdom. This is my Father's kingdom. We get to make the calls like that. And so we, he makes the rules and we follow them. And throughout the last three years, Jesus has been On that tangent, he just refuses to stop talking about it. And so the the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, these leaders of Israel who ought to have known the law are getting embarrassed because of their own shortcomings, because of their own ignorance of their own law. Jesus is embarrassing them time and time again. And so finally, here that they're getting their revenge, not about justice. It's all about getting even. Look at that last verse. Where was the last time we saw the guards? Mark is a very, very clever writer. I've said that several times throughout this text. Obviously, this book is inspired. Obviously, Mark is inspired. But underline guards. And think about to the last time you saw the guards. Who Who were they with? They were with Peter, weren't they? He was warming himself by the fire with the guards. And now those same guards are what? Hitting Jesus. So whose side is Peter on? Whose side is Peter? Who, who's he with? You're going to find out in just a little bit that Peter's not on Jesus' side anymore. In fact, he's going to deny him three different times. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's not with Jesus anymore. And so we have to ask ourselves, who are we with? Whose side are we on? Am I following even though it hurts, even though it costs me something, even though I have to make sacrifices, even though I don't always get to do the things that I want to do? Am I following? Or when it gets hard to follow, when I have to make some hard decisions, am I making compromises? Remember at the beginning of our lesson we talked about there's two, two paths. There's only really two decisions you get to make about Jesus. Wholeheartedly devoted to him.